1: Learn more at marines.com.
2: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily.
1: Welcome back into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here and joining me now here on the show from Zone Coverage is Sam Ekstrom. And Sam, I want you to start out by talking about your abysmal pick for Mr.
2: Mankato. You know, that's a, a deeply hurtful topic. I, I really <laughs> I don't want to get into it. I think it might cause too much distress. But no, I mean, probably not as much distress as Davion Davis has had the the first handful of days. Uh dropping passes, got called out by Mike Zimmer in a press conference a couple times actually. So and not him specifically, but the young receivers in general have been fairly underwhelming. Davion Davis is in that mix and you know, I was throwing out a lot of platitudes about Davion and he has betrayed me uh terribly and, and it's looking like all the veterans are just kind of gonna be the boring uh third, fourth and fifth wide receivers. It's it's not looking good for Davion Davis. So I know what happened to you.
1: What happened to you was you got fooled by minicamp. You got fooled by shorts and one solid day from Davion Davis out there on the practice field. And you said, "How oh, that's my guy. And you know what? I sympathize because this same exact thing, Sam, happened to me two years ago with Isaac Frichty. Even after minicamp practice, one day Mike Zimmer said, you know who's really impressed me out there is that Isaac Fricky. And I went, okay, I'm the reporter. I'm out there every day. I'm going to nail this Mr. Mankato, and everyone's going to look foolish. I'll be the genius. And uh, Isaac Fricky went out in the first game and dropped three passes, and that was the last we ever heard of him. I think that's what happened to you with Davion Davis. I was grinding that Sam Houston State tape, though. And were you really? Uh, you no. really? You really watched Sam Houston State tape?
2: Yeah, it, it, <laughs> c- it can be deceiving when you're the best guy in an FCS field that doesn't always translate to an NFL field. But I was like, okay, he tracks the ball really well. He's got really good yak ability. Uh, he can make catches on the boundary. I like Davion Davis, and I felt like he supported my claim throughout uh, spring. But man, summer. Has not been good.
1: No, it hasn't. Really for anyone. For Alexander Hollins is another guy. For the two draft picks, B.C. Johnson and Dylan Mitchell. I mean, do you think that one of these guys is going to emerge? Or are we just in the situation where Laquan Treadwell might be on this team basically by default?
2: You know, I think it's part of a greater trend where a lot of experienced players, I think, are, are kind of lobbying for these spots that we might have given to rookies. Otherwise, at yeah, wide receiver, I think B.B., Zilstra and Taylor are looking more and more like locks every day. And then the question is, do you keep a sixth? If you're going to keep a sixth wide receiver, I think you have to pick a rookie in front of Laquan Treadwell, don't you? Because then you at least get the team control and uh, maybe you save a few bucks in the process but Laquan Treadwell has been completely phased out of this offense. I think he got maybe two first-team reps in the first week. Um, otherwise, he's been on the practice field with the reserves. He seems completely out of the mix with this Stefanski offense. So I, I don't love Treadwell's chances, but you know, you look at other positions too with the offensive line, it seems like uh, Dakota Dozier or Brett Jones have gotten better reps than guys like Drew Samia or you know other, other younger prospects like John Kinoy, you know rookies they brought in uh running back, Amir Abdullah might have an edge over Mike Boone suddenly, so a lot of these young upstarts people were excited about aren't impressing very much in camp instead, it's been some of the vets that they've liked, and maybe they they cut some veterans last year and said, "You know, maybe we were a little too young, maybe let's go for the experience route and and that seems to have played out
1: well, I think in hindsight they would go back and keep B Rob on the team don't you think for the leadership aspect and also I'm sure that he could have been a situational pass rusher and could have helped when Everson Griffin was away for those five weeks to mix in with Stephen Weatherly instead of asking Weatherly to be in for that entire time and, and take on that full time role so maybe you're right that they said let's make sure we do bring back Brett Jones he's not the best guard slash center that you're ever going to find but if he's got to play two or three games you're going to be okay at that position as opposed to some young player like Drew Samia that you might not know at all but let me circle back to the Treadwell thing Uh, yeah from my observation it doesn't look like he's even on their radar for somebody that you would keep if we didn't know he was a first round draft pick if we were just looking at all these guys having no no knowledge we'd say oh he must be a, a seventh round rookie because of the way that they're throwing him out there and honestly how he's looked it's not like he's just dominating all these people like he has even last year he was very good working with Kirk Cousins but I haven't sat here and said oh man him and Sean Mannion are really on the same page or anything like that I guess it makes me wonder Sam will we look at this and say you know how did you not trade him if you were going to cut him at the end of this. It's a long way till that, but I think that's going to be the question people ask is, wait, you couldn't even get some sort of draft pick or did you just not want to be embarrassed by that considering you drafted him in the first round and then had to trade him away for nothing? Or or what would be the reasoning to not try to move him for something?
2: Well, I think you probably have to consider that maybe that conversation's been had and maybe there's just no market. what, What would the proposal be? Laquan Treadwell and a seventh for a sixth? You move up from the seventh to the sixth round. Is that the best yeah. case scenario at this point? I'm sure the team would love to get out from under that contract. I mean, that would give them a little more flexibility in season if they had to make another kind of Aldrick Robinson, Dan Bailey type move and bring in somebody late to the late to the game or, or like a Brett Jones if they, they need that extra cap space. But um, at this point, I don't even know if he's going to have a good enough training camp slash preseason to generate any interest on the market because they clearly don't seem interested in really elevating him above that third maybe second team and unless he can just rack up yards in the third and fourth quarters of preseason games i can't imagine anyone striking a deal that would make the vikings blush
1: No, you're right about that if nobody is willing to give you more than a sixth round pick or whatever to move up one round you might as well just say whatever let's let him come to camp and see and cutting him considering the very small amount of cap space you would create never made any sense people would ask me that on Twitter well why don't they just cut him to create cap space but it wouldn't it was like six hundred thousand dollars and what's really the point of doing that and uh, you know I, I, I thought going into this maybe they'll give him one more shot maybe it'll be that last time with Gary Kubiak here that we talk about oh Treadwell's looking good in camp and and he's fixed this and he's fixed that but that hasn't been the case at all he's been one of the guys that we haven't even really barely discussed.
2: Well, what's one thing he does really well? I think you struggle to answer that question. Yeah. Like with Cordero Patterson, even though he got phased out for those two years because Norv and, and Zimmer weren't big fans, he wasn't very precise, as we learned that Mike Zimmer really values, he still did something very well. You know, on special teams, uh, he could run with the football. With you know, get the ball in his hands, he can make a play. He showed that his rookie year; he was very, very good. And then he actually kind of reemerged in that fourth year with the Vikings. But you knew he had it in him. You knew it just was going to require some discipline and detail on his part. With Treadwell, I mean, the drop rate is high, so it's not like he's catching everything is in his vicinity. The yards per route run is very low. Um, it, compare his production to his usage. And that's just abysmal. So, really, there's no metric where you can spin it to say Laquan Treadwell has untapped potential. He's had plenty of chances for three years.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. Talking with Sam Ekstrom of uh, Zone Coverage here on Purple Daily, so what else is catching your eye then? Because Courtney and I were talking about this the other day. Is It really has been uneventful. And if you're a Vikings fan, you're thrilled that it's uneventful. You don't want to be at your cottage looking at your phone and you're having a nice weekend and it pops up, uh-oh, somebody got hurt for the Vikings, and now the media is all covering it like crazy who they're going to fix this problem with and so forth. They haven't had a big injury. There's no trade. There's no holdout. The Kyle Rudolph situation worked itself out. So we're kind of in the deep. Deep in the weeds, you know, focusing mostly on the minutiae, which I think can be just as interesting for somebody like me. Maybe not for the web clicks necessarily, but uh, what's, what's number one on your list?
2: Yeah, I think the one area where there have been some injuries at defensive tackle raises some interesting questions because Shamar Steffen hasn't taken a single rep yet in training camp, neither has Linval Joseph, and that's opened the door for Hercules Mataafa to get first-team reps, Armand Watts to move up the ladder. Um, we saw Tito Odenabo get second-team reps because Curtis Cothran and Jalen Holmes were hurt. You know They've had four injuries at that position, and I think it raises the the possibility of maybe Shamar Steffen is the one kind of veteran cut or veteran demotion, if you will. I mean, they did sign him to a three-year deal, and they seem to really like him. They know what he can bring. But if he's hurt uh, and someone else steps into that role, maybe it's a Hercules or maybe it's an Armin, uh, I don't think he's good enough to prevent someone else from taking his spot. So I think there's there's maybe one surprise coming in, at that position. Otherwise, uh, Matthew, Chris Boyd, I think, has kind of looked the part as – Maybe that fourth or fifth safety, certainly Holton Hill's been in the doghouse for obvious reasons, and he barely took any reps for the first three or four days, finally got on the field with the threes on Monday. But uh, Chris Boyd, I think, has looked every bit the part of a promising Zimmer cornerback, Mm -hmm. and Zimmer has spent kind of that requisite time with him one-on-one in his ear, And, and Boyd comes from that track background, you know, he carries his pads really well, he's fast, and he's made a lot of plays on the ball, so... I think Boyd is one of the more intriguing rookies that I've seen out here.
1: Carries his pads really well. There's a, you like there's that a, football yep, terminology? There's a, there's a camp cliche for you. Um, so let me circle back to the defensive tackle position because I think we should be concerned about Linval Joseph. He was hurt last year. You're talking about a guy getting into his 30s, and he has been really valuable for this team. And in 2017, he's one of the best defensive tackles in all of football. Not just nose tackle, but even just straight-up defensive tackles. Dominate run, getting after the passer. Last year when he's trying to play hurt, and he had to have multiple surgeries, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, He's trying to battle through all these injuries. At one point, I think it just said like knee, ankle, wrist, shoulder, or something on the injury report. <laughs> everything is injured on Linval Joseph. Yeah. And this is a little bit of the concern with this defense in general is... You kind of peaked in 2017, and then the attempt is here to hold it all together and stay at the top, but that becomes harder and harder as some of these guys get older, as Xavier Rhodes gets older and gets a little more dinged up, as Linval Joseph gets older and a little more injured as well, and I think if he ends up not playing to the level that he has in the past, it's going to be a lot tougher for this defense.
2: Well, my bold proclamation has long been that people are maybe a little too excited about the defense getting back to form and maybe should be a little more worried about players that are approaching that cliff where you're at age 30 or approaching age 30 and you've already shown signs of some regression, whether that's Xavier Rhodes, Linval Joseph, even Harrison Smith analytically took a step back last year. I don't know if that's too big a cause for concern, but there are a number of players on that defense, you know, and toss Everson Griffin in the mix too, and he had personal issues, but there are a number of players that are at that age where you could see the regression continue rather than a bounce back to kind of where they were, and everybody always I think evaluates a defense based on everyone's utmost potential, you know, if they can play as well as they've played before well then we're good. It's hard to have the stars align like that, and Linval Joseph specifically, is someone that I've already targeted as needing to have a big season to have a future with this team. The contract becomes way more friendly after this year. He, in 2015, 16, 17, was not only taking on two blockers, but actually penetrating the backfield and making splash plays. He was sacks, a monster. Tackles yeah. for loss. It was unbelievable. Last year, he was much more ordinary, uh, not nearly the same amount of production or run stops. And a lot of that is probably scheming against him. And that means he's not, you know, a su- he's not a superhuman anymore. He's not able to rip his way through a guard and a center to get to the running back. And that's normal wear and tear when you're at his age with the injuries he sustained. Maybe the surgeries he's had gets him back to a healthier spot where he can, you know, show that strength that he's known for so well, but he's also lost out on a decent amount of his off-season, too, and we saw how that affected Pat Elfline last year. So I think there's definite cause for concern.
1: No, it's a a great point because when you're saying, well, if he got all those things fixed with his shoulder injury and whatever other injuries, but you're also talking about off-season surgeries that do not allow you to work out the same way you were before. And your point about Harrison Smith, I think, is a good one, that in 2017, Harrison Smith had a season at safety as great as any season I've ever seen. I mean, as Troy Palomalo, as Ed Reed, it was that kind of level one season for Harrison Smith and he had a great case for being the defensive MVP of the whole league he was number one PFF safety and having watched him dominate and take over games that year that's good I mean that's just almost impossible to repeat Um, and, and I think that he is sort of a hall of very good type of player where someone like Ed Reed would have been hall of fame level who could repeat that year after year and so if Harrison is just really really good but not nfl mvp type of level then you are talking about a drop back so i see this defense even if it's completely healthy as being much more along the lines of like the 10th or the 7th or 8th best defense just because of mike zimmer rather than the first which means that you're going to need a lot more from the offense than even you got last year
2: yeah 100 percent. i mean if you can move the offense into the top third of the league, and maybe the defense drops to kind of the, the bottom of that top third. I think that makes for a decent formula, Formula, but how is the offense getting there, and what metric are you using? Is it yards? Because Kirk Cousins can put up yards. Sure. You know, I want to see first down percentage, or, or I should say third down percentage increase. They were 26th last year, falling off from third. I mean if you look for the difference between 2017 and 2018 that's one of the biggest ones yep. was their ability to make plays in clutch situations and you know then you trace it to first and second down what are you doing to put yourself in more favorable situations but clutchness from the offense on big downs in big quarters of big games is going to be the the kicker in this all important 2019 season. So this is, yeah,
1: that's the thing that uh, we've been talking about a lot I think is just can you expect Kirk Cousins to be much different? Probably not, but you can expect um, for things to be a little better around him to help boost him up. And then it really comes down to the situations because in a tight division, you're talking about a few third downs here or there, a few red zones here or there that's going to make all the difference. Um, before I let you go, Sam, I had an interesting conversation with somebody on Twitter about Kirk Cousins in a comparable historic quarterback. Now, this doesn't have to go back to Roger Staubach time. You could do recent history, but – it's it's hard to find someone who's consistently really really good but has not won anything and can't really get to that next level of the conversation with quarterbacks who is the minute they they take over as a starter they're 16th best four years in they're 16th best and and don't move at all put up good fantasy numbers and things like that but have always got this thing where they didn't really win. I mean, when you look at someone like Alex Smith, you sort of—I was going to think—I
2: was thinking of his name, yeah. But,
1: but then you look at the winning that he did. I know, and and you—I don't think you could compare him to Cousins because Cousins is the five hundred quarterback.
2: Well, we talked about this off air, so you probably know what I can. I'm going to throw out here, but Jay Cutler is a pretty adept comparison. The Vikings wanted it to be Drew Brees. They went on the record as saying that we believe this can be a Drew Brees like situation where...
1: Which was preposterous from the beginning.
2: I mean... It's hard to compare. That's just a losing proposition to compare anyone to Drew Brees. But even
1: in San Diego, he had one year where he had 104 quarterback rating in a year where the average quarterback rating was around 80. Like He had already shown that he could be one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Drew Brees, it was the shoulder injury was the reason they decided to get rid of him and have... Phillip Rivers be their guy, so that comparison plus he was 26, that comparison never made a bit of sense to me, but I'm sorry, carry on.
2: Yeah, I mean the the Jay Cutler comparison, and you can probably add on to this just as well switching teams in prime and honestly Cutler did get the Bears close, I mean closer certainly than, than Cousins got last year, but there was always I think a discontentedness from the fan base, and I think you're sensing that in some sectors of the Vikings fan base as well Uh, with some of the things they're seeing now different personalities for sure but I mean, just I'm trying to skim through the quarterbacks right now in the league currently, and there's not many that have switched teams in their prime. That was the rarity of the the Kirk Cousins situation. So you almost have to go back to earlier 2000s, 1990s, probably to find a better comparison. That's a good question. We should uh, we should crowdsource that.
1: Yeah, people can uh, tweet it at me or tweet it at you or at uh, Score North with some answers to this because I think it is a very unique situation. What you have is a lot of quarterbacks throughout history who were journeymen who, even though they were starters consistently, they played for a couple different teams because they could never really get there and maybe they had some sort of great random pop-up season, but Cousins has never had that. What about Tyrod? Tyrod, I think, is a very good comparison. Yeah, uh, because he was a backup for a long time. Mm-hmm. He got a chance, put up some really good numbers, and was impressive and got some wins, but his team never really bought into him. Now, the difference being, obviously, that Tyrod went to a second team and flamed out very quickly, and Baker Mayfield took his job, whereas Cousins had a extremely Kirk Cousins year last year here in Minnesota and still put up big numbers. But in terms of sort of the similarities and even... Um, like what their shortcomings are, where Tyrod Taylor wouldn't throw it unless somebody was wide open, and he would hold on to the ball a lot. And for a guy that had great running ability, which obviously is very different from Cousins, but he didn't have a great pocket presence. Mm-hmm. So it, you kind of thought, like, oh, this guy will be like Michael Vick, and he'll just, like, dodge rushers, and he didn't. And the other the similarity is in 2000, I think it was fourteen. The guy had everything around him that you ever could have asked for. I mean, he had Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, Charles Clay's their tight end, good offensive line, good running back in LaShawn McCoy, and he goes 8-8. Eight and, eight. and it's like, well, yep, that's kind of been the story of Kirk Cousins throughout his career with actually good supporting casts for the most part, aside from last year's offensive line, and never could quite get his team more than 8-8, eight 9-7. and, eight, nine and seven. Um. So yeah. Okay. I, people should send us those because there there aren't many quarterbacks who are like that that have put up these types of numbers, but are still talked about as being kind of like mid tier. Matt Stafford might be another one.
2: Without sw- the switching teams bit.
1: Without the switching teams, yeah. but sort of that like, well, career five hundred, very talented. There's no question no that Kirk Cousins wins. that Kirk Cousins is very talented. Yep. And uh, but maybe kind of a
2: statue sometimes.
1: The shortcomings in the game. I think just sort of show up when it comes to close games and the inches between winning and losing. So, um, Sam Ekstrom zone coverage. Follow his uh, Vikings work there and uh, on Twitter. I assume it's Sam Ekstrom. That's it. That's Sam Ekstrom. Okay, beautiful. Not Sam Ekstrom. NFL. Not underscore. Not no,
2: as... no relation to John Ekstrom. Uh, um, no, I, no I I love, I love John. Is. Great guy. No relation. company it's our business to protect yours join me
3: Callum Williams Kindred East St. Aubin, and Jamie Watson for Score North's coverage of Minnesota United and the Portland Timbers this Sunday afternoon with the pregame at 2:30 and kickoff at 3 right here on Score North on AM 1500 scorenorth.com and the Score North mobile app now back to Purple Daily
1: All right, thanks to Sam Ekstrom for joining me last segment. If you missed any of that or Sage Rosenfels earlier on the show, make sure you go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and download the show, Purple Daily. Very easy to find, and it's free. And it's free. Very free.
0: Promo code free. Promo
1: code. You don't need one because it's free. All right. uh, That is Courtney Cronin now in studio here to discuss some of Mike Zimmer's comments, among other things that we're going to talk about, this morning at his press conference, starting out with... Not too thrilled with the competitiveness of the defense. Courtney, here's how I take this. This is the best news the offense ever could have heard because in uh, mini camps, the defense was just kicking the heck out of the offense in practice. That has not been the case out here. And if Zimmer is upset with his defense, you
0: should be really happy if you're on the offensive side of the ball. Or you should be terrified that this is going to somehow flip the switch, do whatever it needs to do because that defense is really good when it's playing really well and when people are bought in and locked in. And I think that, as Zimmer had mentioned, there's a sense of complacency here. I know that he wouldn't say it was because of, you know, there's 11 positions out there that are already decided. Like, it's not that, and I don't think that anybody's thinking, like, oh, I'm super comfortable with my job, blah, blah, blah. But there's a lack of complac there is a sense of complacency there and just really a lack of urgency. Look at that red zone period on... Wednesday, where Kirk Cousins goes back to back to back touchdowns, linebackers are getting burned, Anthony Harris looks um, totally lost in that touchdown that Kyle Rudolph caught in the back of the end zone, and I think that Kyle really sold that well, It's what Zimmer alluded to in a question I asked just about how he's running his routes now. Um, But yeah, this defense has been together for six years. They have been top five, I don't know how many times since Zimmer has been here, and I think that... You run the risk of getting really comfortable, which might be where they're at right now. But I think it's better. I'd rather have the defense be in this spot here than what they were doing last year, where they were overcomplicating everything in training camp, which led to you know bottoming out first four weeks of the season because they were trying to do too much. Like at least at this point, they you know it is training camp. It is the off the preseason, but it's still a lack it still is a concern. Mike Zimmer called it his major concern at this point.
1: Hmm. See, that's interesting because I I kind of looked at that as the opposite way. Like Zimmer is always going to be huffy about his defense. He cares sure. so much about it. It's his baby. He wants them to win every rep in practice, even if that drove John D. Filippo crazy last year with having his defense make calls that they weren't supposed to be making yet and things like that. But I look at it as, from being out there in practice yesterday, that the offense looks like it was supposed to look last year. It, it, last year during training camp, it seemed on a daily basis they couldn't get a red zone drill to go their way. Mm-hmm. It seemed like when they were doing final minute stuff, it always went the wrong direction. All their
0: situational stuff from a year ago was atrocious and, in training camp and be even before that. And, 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 and
1: we could tell also that the offensive line was going to be a big problem. And and we were talking about on the sidelines, this looks like it could be a real issue, this this offense this year. And they came out and put together some good performances earlier early on last season, but eventually all the issues that we saw in training camp eventually showed up. And with Kirk Cousins saying yesterday, hey, you know, I realized last year I better actually throw that ball to Kyle Rudolph when he's not open because he'll catch it. I I had it in the story that I wrote that last year he had six red zone catches, Rudolph did, he had 14 red zone catches in 2017 because Case Keenum just threw the ball up to him. And I'm I'm not saying that... um, top five offense right but if you were looking for positive signs when you showed up here at training camp for the offense mike zimmer being mad would be the happiest you could be if you were kevin stefanski that that zimmer's defense isn't winning and he might point to competitiveness but i think that in a lot of ways it's been the execution of the offense on the practice field
0: true And I also think it's a benefit to the offense of where they're at right now because last year at this point, they never got any praise from Mike Zimmer. They were in such a weird situation where they were trying to gel going into week four. Uh, We didn't know about the state of the offensive line when Pat Elfland was coming back, Mike Remmers, the whole thing. It feels totally different. Like, everything's okay. Things are finally in place. They're just trying to keep them in place and not have anything go awry. But no, I mean, with what Mike Zimmer said – Um, just about how the offense has won all the situational stuff. I mean, think about how bad they were at two-minute drives in games last year. Yeah. Think about how bad they were with, like, clock management in certain times and, like, Kirk coming out of timeouts and needing to call another timeout because he didn't know the play or just a lot of things that went wrong. They're sharper at those areas right now, and it's kind of surprising because not too long ago, six, seven weeks ago, when we were here at minicamp, that final day and the day before that when they were outside – they looked awful. And you expect the defense, which has been together for the last, I don't know, six years now, you expect that to happen. I remember asking uh, George Edwards the first day that he was talking last week, like how much better is it for a defensive staff that's been together for six years? Like How much easier does that make the install? It's like continuity is the word that th- that's thrown out. Um, repetition. They know what they want to do. Like since they've been together for so long, they can mitigate all of like the minutia and really get into you know. I guess they can mitigate all of the like big picture vanilla stuff and get into the minutia that they're trying to work on. Well, I think that also on the flip side of a defense, like you get complacent and you're in a situation now where maybe the offense actually is looking a little bit more like less predictable. Maybe they're not throwing you. The same type of stuff that you, I mean, you know their plays in in training in uh, excuse me, off, uh, OTAs and minicamp. Maybe now, okay, they're showing you something that you haven't seen and you just don't know how to react to it yet because you've been so used to reacting to the same thing for so long. Yeah, that was
1: my read on the situation. Is more that the offense is performing well and Zimmer's mad than it is that they're actually complacent. I mean, we haven't seen this from this defense really ever. And coming off of a disappointing season last year, what reason would they have to be to say, ah, yeah, well, we're... You know, the top five defense every year, so all we have to do is strap on our cleats and sure. we're good to go. I, I don't see that from that's these a types mo- of players. That's
0: a motivational tactic, clearly. But, I mean, I think it is, you have to say, you have to note that it's impressive in a way that Zimmer said that. And, of course, it's his defense. He wants this defense to be number one in every category year after year after year, which we know is difficult because defense always has more regression. But... I am curious about that like is he is he seeing something with his players that maybe we don't see um with older guys with Xavier Rhodes, not with Harrison Smith, we know that, but like with with guys that he's been particularly critical of over the years is that it, and this is all speculation at this point, but is that what he's referring to like who i mean I know that he hasn't been happy with Holton Hill. Like, we young corners, he's he's constantly on him because he has no choice that Chris Boyd's probably going to be playing as a backup in some of these games. Mm-hmm. But where is the frustration? Like, well, on which plays? Because the question, the answer to that question came out of something that was about Anthony Harris and just kind of where he's been at, you know, going into now his second year as a full-time starter after he took over the job from Andrew Sandejo, that's what launched Zimmer into saying this stuff. So was he just not thrilled on that play in the back of the end zone where Harris gave up the touchdown? Like, what is it? Yeah. And I mean, it could also be, there's a lot of other stuff too, just to just wrap this point up, like Trey Wayne's got flagged for two pass interference, Uh, you know, got two pass interference flags uh, during practice on Monday, and yeah. These are not NFL referees. These are referees that the Vikings hired for practice. But maybe it's just like little tiny things like that mm-hmm. that are irking Zimmer a little bit.
1: Oh, I'm sure that his point is valid about the defense not being as sharp as he wants them to be. It's just that last year during this time, they could kind of roll the ball out and the defense would just beat the offense on a daily basis. And the fact that the offense is making that more challenging for them is what you were looking for we're always trying to see just how much we can take away from a practice or a couple of practices and the fact that the first team offense is actually executing things on a regular basis as compared to what we had seen last year it kind of reminds me of 2017 where it was pretty even battles between the offense and the defense and you saw that Pat Shermer had a good offense and that they were able to win a lot of reps and that Sam Bradford might be poised for a good season. And Those were kind of some of the takeaways as we went into the year from training camp. And last season, it felt like this could be a struggle all year long and it with was. this offense. And it absolutely was. And I was looking just now at the red zone percentage for the Vikings last year, and they ranked 21st in red zone execution. So that's one area where they've been really good here in training camp and they absolutely have to be better in the situational stuff. And that's when we talk about Kirk Cousins and the next level. And when I wrote a piece about this, I focused mostly on that, mostly on you have to be better on the third and longs. You have to be better in certain situations where you lose the games. And last year there were a lot of times where they got in the red zone, they came away with a missed field goal, and you just sort of shrug your shoulders.
0: And that goes back to the point that he made yesterday about he regrets not throwing to Kyle Rudolph more in the red zone. We saw it translate during the situational stuff in camp. Um, he had Kyle had the corner route in the, in the front of the end zone on one play, and then that back of the end zone play, the Anthony Harris uh, touchdown that he gave up. Those are going to be make or break, I think, for this team once they get inside the 20 because Kirk is never a threat to run that often. I mean, yes, if you're at the goal line, he'll, you know, if you can use any sort of, like, read action – he's going to score a few touchdowns that way. But when you're not running the football effectively down there, and Kirk was where he was at last year, of course you're not going to be a threat to teams in the red zone. Now that's changing. If you if you can actually utilize Kyle Rudolph in the end zone, which he, he's been one of the best red zone tight ends for, you know, the last few years of his career, and as Mike Zimmer said, he's running. He looks faster. Mm-hmm. Like he's running his routes better. I mean, that's important to note. Um I think that that's something that's going to be a marked improvement from where we were last year because he was just going to Thielen and Diggs in the red zone, and after a while you realize, okay, those guys are going to get doubled and taken away, and however, whatever the coverage is, uh, you put yourself in a disadvantage. So I will be very impressed to see how this defense responds to these type of comments um, and just what the changes are. Like, is it going to be more of like a scheme change? Is it going to be – I mean – I don't think these players need any sort of motivation. Like I, I know he said complacency. I get that. Um he also gave credit to the offense though. He said that they look yeah. good. It wasn't just like, you know, my defense is terrible, blah, blah, whatever, offense. Like he gave credit, like where credit was due, and the credit was due to the offense.
1: Well, I think that we just saw it um in terms of what he was going to do about it. I, I don't think there's gonna be a scheme change or anything. It's probably just I'm gonna call him out in a press conference. He seemed to work himself into it like he wanted to. He wanted to come out in this press conference and say, you know what? Yeah, because
0: he wasn't asked about that. Right,
1: exactly. He just wanted to get right into, I'm not happy with the way they've competed, and uh, he's going to have to see more. And I just
0: well, they learned their mistake. They learned their lesson from the mistake of over scheming, over complicating things last yes, year, which is I why agree. I agree with you that that's as I brought it up, just as an option. It's probably not a realistic one because they've been through that before.
1: Um, getting into some of the other things that Zimmer said, he mentioned how much he likes Tyler Conklin. If you don't know Tyler Conklin, he's the number three receiver on the depth chart right now with David Morgan injured. Probably number four on the depth chart if David Morgan is healthy. So among
0: the tight ends,
1: among the tight ends, right? Yeah, not the whole depth chart, yeah. not like all fifty-three. You said receiver. Um, oh, I did. I'm sorry, but he could be a receiver. Yeah, as uh, we saw well, yesterday,
0: he had that touchdown. Yeah, he could.
1: Um, well, I guess he, my mind was going toward. I think they're going to keep five receivers and four tight ends, don't you?
0: Oh, that's that's what I had on my um, initial fifty-three. Granted, my receiver projections probably are. You never know how those are going to pan out. Who, because who outside.
1: were your receivers? Dylan Mitchell or was it B.C. Johnson? I had B.C.
0: Johnson, B.B., and Taylor. But Taylor, here's the thing you that know I've who's noticed. losing
1: that competition between me and you, both of us? Both
0: of us. Um, <laughs> Johnson and Mitchell are the guys who are running the wrong route depth, um, bad trajectory to the ball, just running the wrong route. It's Jordan Taylor, who's a veteran in this league, is the guy who's lining up wrong. Hmm take and take a look like watch out for that when you're watching practice like it's kind of interesting like you think it's not just all the rookies like Jordan Taylor I don't think is a lock anymore to hmm. you know earn the number 3 job I mean he'll certainly be in competition but I was surprised by that because I saw I was noticing that in Monday's practice I don't I think there were several instances of it where you know there's a last minute change and it didn't look like he was in the right spot I
1: don't think um anyone has a chance to unseat Chad Beebe no. for the number three wide, receiver.
0: unless he gets hurt.
1: Unless he gets hurt, which Zimmer hasn't
0: said that that's his biggest demon.
1: It would have to be absolutely abysmal in the preseason games, which you know it won't be because he's a good player and he'll catch everything that comes his way. I think that that's not even a conversation anymore. Is number no. three? It's which guy gets that last spot? Because as you mentioned, nobody has really stood out among the receivers. So I apologize for misspeaking, but the Tyler Conklin element to it, Zimmer came straight out and said that he sees Tyler Conklin having a role in the offense and it was another one that was a little bit unprompted to offer that um, such a strong take I guess instead of well he's going to work on making the team but no he actually has a role in the offense and he didn't get a whole lot of chance to play last year every once in a while had a big play um, late in the season against Miami but he is a guy that we noticed from the minute he came in here really does catch everything that you throw his way and has some of that ability to rise up and catch the ball. It makes a lot of sense to me if you're going to run two tight ends all the time to make sure that you have effective depth. So I think they will keep four.
0: And who knows about David Morgan and the knee injury because we saw him yesterday. I believe it was the first time he was doing rehab work during practice yep. of running, uh, doing some lunging and other calisthenics um I just I wonder if they end up not being able to keep David Morgan having to move him to IR or something does that mean Cole Hickettini is somebody too because he's gotten he's a long strider I was watching him run yesterday long Strider. he's a long strider and he's got he's huge like I didn't realize he was that big did you
1: um he is a big man for sure and then Zimmer also shouted out um Brandon, Brandon Dillon, Dillon. today I, yeah. he, I asked him to start the press conference basically like all right well you guys were looking for somebody to show you something that we had never heard of or you know a guy who comes in and we don't know who who has it been and he mentioned Brandon Dillon I'm like okay so maybe that's your practice squad tight end yeah um, but it I mean it would make a lot of sense to keep for to your point though we are getting to that time where if David Morgan doesn't get on the field, then he's probably not starting the season from week one.
0: No, I think that that knee injury from – because he came, he came back from it for a little bit last year. I don't know when he reaggravated it, but that's a concern. And in this offense, you're going to want four tight ends just because of the things that they've done with what Gary Kubiak has done elsewhere and just implementing that into Kevin Stefanski's system. They've said since the jump they want heavier personnel packages. Mm-hmm. Um you have to have effective depth depth with that. And I think that Tyler Conklin, from being a player that Mike Zimmer forgot his name in the spring <laughs> during OTAs, so now is somebody that he's rattling off. Yeah. Um, just how impressed he is with him, and he had that good touchdown yesterday at the front of the end zone. That's important. That's a good thing that's a good thing to note.
1: Um, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, Mike Zimmer, you'll be totally shocked by this, does not love the
3: 3.47 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. This download brought to you by MyPillow. Jonathan here. Well, that debut, it didn't go well for one Sam Dyson, the new Twins reliever in their bullpen. He came on for the Twins as they were up 4-1 to one in the ninth inning. Well, 14 pitches later, he's credited with giving up two hits, three earned runs, two walks, and the Twins end up losing in the 12th inning 5-4 off a walk-off home run. So not a great debut for Sam Dyson. He was pulled after 14 pitches and recording no outs for those twins. Not a great debut for Sam Dyson. But now back to the final segment of today's Purple Daily.
1: All right, one more segment of Purple Daily here coming up next. It is Mackie and Judd with Rami, as always, from 4 to 6. If you missed any part of the show, make sure you go and download it, Uh, Purple Daily, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find it there. Also, if you want to see anything that I have written on our website, uh, go to scorenorth.com. Just wrote about the defensive perspective on play action. Uh, We've been talking all about this from the offensive perspective, but I asked a bunch of defensive minds, including Mike, Zimmer about it, so check that out, scorenorth.com. Speaking of defense, Courtney, I'm sure you were stunned, blown away, that Mike Zimmer is not super happy with the fact that there will be pass interference replay review.
0: Well, he did say that he's probably going to empty out the number of flags that he has uh, (laughs) during the preseason. It's going to be... Such chaos, I have a feeling, but even more so than what we dealt with last year. And I asked him, like, do you anticipate this being a situation like with the uh, roughing the passer rule that was implemented right around now? Uh, That took weeks, weeks into the regular season. I still want to know if
1: Antoine Williams is paid as fine.
0: I do, too. Um, Yeah, we remember that from the preseason. But think about, like, the crews that had, like, they would, people would keep track of which officiating crews were throwing out more of these flags um, and so I asked him if that, if he thinks that that's going to be something that needs to get worked out. And he said, yeah, he doesn't know how long it's going to take. Um, but you know, they're going to, he's going to be throwing his flags a lot because he just doesn't know, like if you touch somebody like with them, is that past interference? And I know that he was making that reference just as like an exaggeration because we really don't have a line here. Um, I know they wanted to fix what happened in the NFC Championship game. That makes a ton of sense. But did they? Is there, Are we going to look at this as too much of a knee-jerk reaction? Because we're going to be looking at everything from now on. I don't know.
1: Well, I after that um, disastrous miscall in the NFC Championship game, I know that some fans probably feel like, "Well, what a knee-jerk reaction!" But yeah. I had felt like this for a long time. Um, I, I had felt like we needed this in the NFL with this play specifically. As much as I think that replay is a monster that we let out of a cage and now it's eating us all and we're all just spending all of our time wondering if calls will be reviewed and debating whether it was reviewable and then they get the reviews wrong and it's the worst thing ever.
0: Yeah, and games are seven hours.
1: Right, yeah, right. And and in college, it's they try to do it short, but it's still a nightmare. And I don't know. Anyway, um, but uh, this is going to be a big, long process that we're going to talk about all the time. I still feel like it's going to be better with it in there because you can gain 50 yards on a play. And if you're going to gain 50 yards on a play, you have to be able to go back and look at it. It kind of reminds me of what I liked in Major League Baseball with the replay was the home run. Or in hockey, with a goal. Like, yeah, you know what? There's a bunch of hockey men with their skates everywhere and sticks everywhere and people falling down at the goal. Like, I want to know um, from a camera view that's closer as opposed to a ref trying to look through all the stuff to find the puck to see if it went in. I want a camera to be able to show me if it was fair or foul because nobody from behind home plate or or next to first base can look all the way out there and see for sure whether it's fair or foul. I think the same thing with pass interference. It's going so fast. You throw the ball up, and sometimes it might look like somebody committed a penalty and they didn't, and you get 50 yards because of it. I mean, my gosh, right? So it's one of those things where everyone will absolutely freak out, and Zimmer will be mad. But if we give it time, I bet by week six they've got it.
0: Well, by week six last year, did they have roughing the Passer settled? I think Probably. so. Yeah, I think I'd so. I'd say that they I think would. that's about how long it took. But- what I'm referring to with the knee-jerk reaction thing is what he said. He's like, they went quick with it and it passed at the owners' meetings with flying colors, and now they're finding out. And that was me adding that part in. And now they're fi- they're finding out there's some possible unintended consequences. Well, of course. I mean, these rules take a while to work out. The roughing the passer was one of them. I mean, we've had PI rules before, um, you know, even before this one, just with uh, with replay that I think have still like they. Took several weeks of the preseason to figure out. I mean, that's the yep. beauty of the preseason. It's not just figuring out who's on your 53 man rosters. It's making sure the officiating crews get it right, too. So while I wouldn't say it was a complete knee jerk reaction to something that happened, because this felt like, as you said, this was a long time coming. We've seen other plays that have been affected, not to the, not to the effect of somebody missing a chance to go to the Super Bowl, but, um, It's good that they at least corrected it now because this is going to take months and months to figure out. So I just tell everybody to kind of just like buckle up and and relax and get ready for this because it's it's going to be as bad, in my opinion. I'll predict it. It's going to be as bad as we thought. Pass uh, the roughing the passer was, where it's like, oh, you can blow on the quarterback, (laughs) and and it's roughing the passer. I mean. Coaches are going to think about all the Hail Marys and, like, you know, last second plays and, and determining pass interference off that. Everybody's going to do that and everybody's going to be throwing a flag.
1: Um, okay, before we wrap up for the day and Mackie and Judd and Rami come in and talk about the non trade deadline that happened for the Twins, Sam Dyson's good. Congratulations on getting Sam Dyson. Um, who are you betting on tonight? Denver, huh. Atlanta. Come on. Football, it's here. Who's I, gonna win? Do
0: I have to watch the Hall of Fame? Broncos,
1: game? Falcons.
0: Who's the Falcons' backup quarterback? I
1: don't know. Matt Schaub, probably. Okay. Okay. Are they gonna play Drew?
0: Is uh, Drew Lock will play? Will Drew Lock play? Yeah, he'll play. I'm sure he's gonna play. So he's Flacco, like their number three quarterback. Right Flacco play what the first series? They might well, not, they not even, not even play, him. play him because Trubisky last year did not play yeah. in that game. I they remember usually don't. Were the Hall freaking fame out. Game. Yep. they usually um, don't. Let's go. Let's go Denver.
1: You got um, Denver. What twenty one seventeen?
0: Twenty eight twenty three. Denver.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll just I'll go Atlanta twenty one seventeen. Okay. I think we should do this whenever we can. When there's just a night of preseason games, we should pick them for no reason. Okay. All right. Just
0: based on just nothing. I can't. Of you won't. You won't even let me look at a roster. So I have to look at it blindly.
1: Just yeah. Just guess who's going to win. So you're okay. taking Denver. I'm going to take it Atlanta, and I'm going to be one and zero after this Hall of Fame game. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's football. It it's is, back. It
0: football is back. It's the last uh we now have football for how many weeks straight to we it? Um, until
1: 30? early February when yeah. they played the Super Bowl. Nuts. Yeah. Uh all right, let's uh wrap it up for today. Thank you, Courtney, for your time as always. And if you missed anything, again scorenorth.com and uh go to iTunes.